Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddham Dhammam Sangam Namasami What is hauntingly beautiful in your life? What is beautiful in your life? I, I find it really amazing, Aya, the Dhamma, how naturally it unfolds, especially when you're struggling with something. It just resolves on its own sometimes. I just find that hauntingly beautiful. The effort to practice and to create harmony. It's beautiful and it's hard. The difficulty is, is what makes it beautiful. I was traveling recently and I found the small acts of kindness among travelers and people that I met so achingly beautiful and touching. The unthinkable happened and I left my coat with my wallet and papers on the train in a foreign country and not speaking the language. I tried to get to the other side of the platform to see if someone had turned it in. And I saw a young girl waving to me with my coat and my papers in hand. Saw what happened, picked up my coat with my papers, took the train back and waited to see if I was there and handed me my jacket and my papers all intact. I am with somebody at the moment who is in exceedingly severe pain. And this person is having morphine every hour or so. And at times there is a calmness that I see in her face as the, the pain evaporates and she smiles and gazes at the trees and says, I feel so serene. That is achingly beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So whether we can smile or not, whether we can behave as we think we should or not, connecting to other beings who are also living through these times, whatever we have to offer, Let's bring that to the table and be open. It's much easier for the Dhamma to speak, even if we have to share our suffering. In fact, a lot of times, sharing the suffering is what really cracks us open. And isn't that what the Buddha taught? 
he taught the truth of suffering. And he divided it into four ways. There's the truth of suffering, the truth of its origin. In the case of an illness, you know that there's a physical cause, but there could be a mental cause. There could be both. There could be external causes, attack, betrayal, deceit, so many things. And then the very important thing that the Buddha expressed to us is not just suffering. He taught about suffering, but he also taught about the ending of it. The ending of it doesn't happen out there. The ending of suffering happens within us. So if somebody else's suffering ends, that can also touch us. And that's why suffering is a cause of compassion. It raises up compassion. Kindness and compassion instill in us a strength and a vigor that helps us to overcome our greatest suffering. And then, of course, the fourth truth is what we're doing here. We are practicing the Eightfold Noble Path. And this Eightfold Noble Path takes us on a very mysterious journey. It's a journey that we couldn't write this script because if we wrote it, we would never go beyond suffering because we don't have the qualities yet, the way to develop within us. The way that it's generally thought, the Eightfold Path, is a path that's divided into three sections. Developing virtue, mental cultivation, and wisdom. And most people think that meditation is it. But certainly for us in the monastery, we see that it's not just meditation. It's everything we do. So we know that there are five powers. Faith is one. Energy is another. You can't just trust. We have to make the energetic effort to develop virtue, mental cultivation, and wisdom. And it's not just effort to attend meditation sessions or to get up and practice meditation, and then the rest of the day, life just happens. But it's more like a continuous effort, an effort that is, I'm not going to give up. And the Buddha also gives us advice about the four right efforts. Abandoning what doesn't conduce to the practice, to the path. And then to develop, to cultivate virtue, mental cultivation or mental development and wisdom. So that you make the effort to abandon, you make the effort to develop, but also we bring that into our life. We encourage the miraculous because we trust this Dhamma so much. 
you think there's something you need to do, but you just can't do it. But it would be miraculous if you could do it. So you make the effort to do what is miraculous, to bring that which is hauntingly beautiful into your daily life. I know of somebody that was a mountain climber, and she tried to climb a mountain that nobody else would climb with an expert climber. And they went up this mountain in Argentina, and they succeeded in climbing it. But on the way down, she was hit by falling rock, and she died. She ended up dying. A very tragic story because there was a rescue attempt. But she was able to get up that mountain when no one else could. And so we, yeah, we take risks. Maybe that was more risk than we would want to take. But I know from the monastic life that we take a big risk constantly. Even staying here in this beautiful sanctuary under COVID conditions, I realized more and more how every day we go forward based on our faith that people will help us and people will bring food and take care of us more than ever because things are closing down again and again. People are discouraged in the winter. And then we see how much effort people make to do this, to do what I consider miraculous. That through two plus years of this pandemic, we have not gone hungry a single day. But it does, it takes incredible faith. And that's why I come to you. That's why we, we're both here. <laughs> we come to you with our heads shaved, wearing our robes, and keeping our Vinaya, our code of discipline, intact, totally intact. So we don't do this just for ourselves, but we do this because it creates sanctuary, and we know that. We know how much faith and kindness comes up the driveway every single day. So I, I ask you to invite the miraculous into your life. And the Dhamma is miraculous. But then we have to do the cultivating, keeping the virtue, cultivating the heart, opening the heart, and developing the wisdom, remembering that there is wisdom to be gained. It's not a simple mindfulness. It's the supreme recollection of the Dhamma, and it's a mindfulness that goes deeper. It's remembering to what depth we have to continue and to what depth we have to make effort. And when someone is sick and dying in front of you and they share with you 
the most excruciating pain, but then they have a break from it. The suffering recedes, and then the serenity that they're left with by facing that, by bearing with it, by being patient with it, that, that's love. That is patience. That's a fearlessness. These are qualities that we have to invite and develop. I invited the miraculous. So when we abandon not only the causes of our mental illness and our physical illness by looking for a cure or healing, and we invite the miraculous, what we're actually doing is developing that which is blameless. Blameless. So this is a very important thing to recognize because we have a lot of fear of being blamed or being criticized because we're so attached to this notion of a self. But if we keep a high level of virtue and if we keep the mind pure as much as we can through this daily development and cultivation of mindfulness, then our life will be blameless. But that doesn't mean we won't be blamed. The world is always looking for somewhere to lay the blame. Other people will blame us, but that doesn't mean that we're blameworthy. If we take care of our heart by practicing this supreme and deep level of mindfulness, then we, we are blameless. And to be blameless in a world that is so full of greed, hatred, and delusion is really miraculous in itself. So if the more moments of blamelessness we accumulate or we practice in our lives, the more our faith in our own power will grow. And the more our strength to face what we have to face in this life will be emboldened and reinforced. And old age sickness and death are not absent. We cannot, you can delay, but eventually they come. We get sick. We get weaker. We get older. People around us get old, sick, and die. Death is everywhere. Even young people die. Not only young people, babies. The world is so stricken by what's happening in Ukraine because it is an atrocity. It's a series of horrific atrocities. But what is hauntingly beautiful in the Ukraine is that in the face of this degree of suffering, the people there are not losing their faith. They are courageous beyond belief. And everyone is touched by that. They are doing the miraculous. 
every day, every day. The effort that we have to make is that kind of ardency. And when we face difficulties, that is what brings the practice to life. The Buddha actually teaches the, the Four Noble Truths because without the suffering, the Dhamma is very difficult to realize. And that's why the human realm is such a good field for practice. It's rich. The harder we work, the greater the result, potentially, depending on how we work with the mind. So the other aspects of mindfulness, besides remembering to invite the miraculous and putting in this ardency of effort, is not to judge, to have a mind that is not looking with a blaming eye, a judging eye, at ourselves or others. Because this is when we take refuge in the self, not in truth. And we're trying to understand what it means. What is this selflessness? What does that mean? We're trying to understand that more and more deeply. But we will not understand that as long as we take refuge in the thinking mind. But to take refuge in the blamelessness of the heart. And sometimes all I have left to lean my faith on is reflecting on my virtue. Yeah. And then when I do reflect on my virtue, I become joyful. I feel so, so much joy just reflecting on how much effort we make year after year day after day, hour by hour, to follow this path rigorously and diligently without judging it, without analyzing it and evaluating it. That rule, this is too hard, we shouldn't have to do this. All these kinds of attitudes and opinions about what life is giving us but rather to examine what can I give, what effort can I give to this life to make it work. A creativity that comes from the intuitive mind. It doesn't come from thinking about things and trying to have it, like trying to get off on a technicality. Oh, it's COVID, we don't have to do that. Sometimes we have to forgive because of COVID conditions. That's different. The forgiveness is to be real, to be realistic, to be compassionate to ourselves and others. The snow is too deep. The ice is too slippery. The pain is too great. And so we, we lean on that which will help us to meet these difficulties, to face them as best we can. 
And the Dhamma will help us to do that because we have the faith and the trust. And sometimes just leaning on our virtue is going to bring the gladness of heart. I tried my best. I did my utmost. I've given what I can. And then we squeeze a little bit more. That kind of effort is what is going to give us the diligence that we need to end the suffering. And the ending of the suffering doesn't mean that pain will go away, but it means that the mind will be patient enough, will be willing to wait through the long haul until we can have the serenity of heart, the openness of heart. One of the most important things along the path in non-judging is to remember the Eightfold Noble Path. And this Eightfold Noble Path is a watering of compassion every step of the way. It's nothing short of a path that leads to wisdom, but it leads to wisdom through this miraculous form of compassion. It's actually beyond human doing. It's an immortal compassion. It's beyond mortals. So we have to go beyond our humanity, and that's where the Dhamma comes in. We rely on our spirituality. We recognize, first and foremost, that we are spiritual beings on a human journey. And the journey is long. We have no power to govern the length of it. We just walk it. We do it. And we're not content with going halfway. Actually, if we reflect deeply within ourselves, don't look for degrees or attainments because the path is not about someone attaining anything, but it's about understanding the emptiness and the depth of letting go that we must continually actualize to trust deeply enough, to be patient enough to love. And that love is not a love of self, but it's a love of that spirituality. It's a love of the Dhamma light that each of us carries within us. We're trying to shine it. And that's not being somebody who gets enlightened because no one gets anything. There's no one to get or not get the light. The light is there. We have to uncover it. It's like a hidden treasure. You remember, each of us has this hidden treasure, and all the pain and suffering in the world cannot obscure it if we hold most diligently, ardently, 
miraculously, inspiringly, fearlessly, courageously, gratefully, humbly, wisely, compassionately to the Dhamma. Above everything. And if we hold to the Dhamma, the Buddha guarantees that the Dhamma will uphold us. The hidden treasure hidden in the ground of love. How can we be silent when we're in pain? When the mind is screaming, aching, yelling, complaining, criticizing, caving in, contracting. How can we be silent? If we stay hidden in the ground of love, and that means to give up, give up this selfish way of looking. What can I get? The me making and my making is forever leading us off the path. So we practice every day. But if we do it with that mind that is wanting in the wrong way, in a blaming way, in a selfish way, and what can I get without the compassion, without that outward connecting, connecting to the Dhamma, connecting to the path, connecting to the Buddha, then this path will not bear fruit. And it's the fruit that we want. We realize the importance of being silent that is selfless. We want to give the fruit. And it isn't giving it for ourselves, but it's giving just because the giving itself is developing the path. It's the quality of selfless love and compassion. And that is the most difficult thing to do. All other pains and difficulties, hardships, nothing is so difficult as that. And yet, it is within our means, if we trust. 